0: Bellator 206 Post-Fight Thoughts. Dun-dun-dun! Hey guys, Fight Junkie here. Before we jump into this next episode, I want to remind you guys, you can follow me on Twitter, at FightJunkie.com, listen to me on Anchor.fm, and of course, subscribe to the YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash Junkie 2006 So let's start with the first fight that we looked at in our pre-fight predictions. And again, if you guys missed that, you want to go back, listen to it, uh, remember what I said, how I said it, whatever my advice was, my opinion, blah, 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 blah. You can click on that card icon in the upper right uh, portion of this podcast on the video and click that and it will link back to the uh, fight predictions. Uh, podcast so the first one is the Carrie Melendez Dakota Zimmerman fight we spoke on that I expected it to be a mismatch Carrie ended up winning the fight via split decision yes I said split decision now I do have to say I don't think she lost the fight I don't think it was a split decision I do think she looked like crap and I think a lot of that had to do with her first round miscues, missteps, and terrible game planning. If you guys have listened to any of the podcasts previously, I have a big pet peeve about um, cage IQ with MMA fighters. A lot of the times they just go with the flow and they don't stick to a game plan. They don't adjust well. And these are problems. It's almost like a one dimensional fighter. And I thought you saw this huge critical mistake In the Kerry Melendez fight in the very first round. And it set the tone for the entire match. And I'll tell you why I think that. Carrie had the much, much better striking. If you guys got to see the fight, you could see it in the little bits of striking they did. She was far more skilled than Dakota is in the striking area. Well, what happened was she came out, was looking okay with that striking, looking dominant with that striking, and then for some unknown reason, went to the clinch and went to a takedown. Granted, she got the takedown. But that opened up a can of worms that she was never really able to deal with comfortably throughout the entire fight. Once that fight hit the ground, Dakota realized that she could at least compete with Carrie on the ground and maybe win the fight that way. And once that was in her mind everything changed. Now all Dakota wanted to do was grab her like white on rice, just stuck, stuck to her like Velcro the entire fight. It didn't matter if it was in the clinch. It didn't matter if she was pulling guard. It didn't matter if Carrie was on top of her. All she did was go to lockdown mode. She knew, we knew, Everybody knew she could not compete in the stand-up. And once Carrie allowed her to get the confidence that she could again compete and maybe pull out a submission win on the ground, the entire thing went out the window. Carrie actually screwed that fight up for herself. Had she stayed in the stand-up from the beginning, Dakota would have rushed after her, ate a whole bunch of punches, and probably got stopped. Remember. Mismatch, and I liked her to win inside. At the time of the podcast, we didn't have inside props. All we had was an over-under. But let me tell you what these lines closed at. Carrie straight, minus 1,300. Won't go to a decision, minus 285. And Melendez wins inside, minus 285. She burned a lot of people with that terrible Game planning on the feet. This fight was an absolute mismatch, and this is one of my huge pet peeves not just with betting, but of course, when betting. Because when you look at a fighter and you expect them to fight a certain way, and then they pull something out of their hat, like Carrie did, it really screws up your capping. But not only that, she was not that great on the ground, like Carrie did not do so much on the ground that you would have ever thought in your mind that she should be taking Dakota down. She had the far uh, better advantage in the striking. And once Carrie realized that Zimmerman wanted to be on the ground, well, now she was trying to avoid that bad mistake you should have already done this in the first round so now the fight became lockdown 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 the judge that gave it for dakota is out of their mind there's no way that i believe that she could have even won that fight let alone maybe a round i think maybe a round but the whole fight that that's insane 29 28 Dakota, one of the judges, had it. They they should have their license revoked. That's insane. But it was a horrible fight. A terrible fight. Not only was it a piss-poor fight to watch, it was piss-poor game planning from Kerry. And after the fight, I heard Gilbert, who is... Gilbert Melendez who is her husband and UFC fighter telling her how great she did and how she overcame this that and the other this is the problem they're never going to address the fact that she should have never taken her down in the first place if you've got dominant striking this girl was Ono 1 in 1 as an amateur and just eats punches like tic tacs coming forward she literally eats punches with her face rushing forward. If you guys didn't get a chance to watch the fight, I won't recommend you do it. But if you do want to see what I'm talking about, there's only a few areas where Carrie's able to strike without Velcro attaching her and then clinching her or pulling guard or whatever. But you can see there's a huge disparity in skill there. And then not only that, carrie starts the grappling then decides she doesn't want to but velcro stuck to her now so now it becomes a a grappling match and what happens carrie fatigues so the last round she's a shell of herself on the feet no power huffing and puffing just pity patting around terrible terrible game planning Terrible performance from Carrie. And the reason I throw it on her, she's closed as a minus 1,300 favorite straight. And that's why I warned you guys, like, don't look at her straight. Like, that was at 900 or 1,000, I think it was at that point. So she was like... Uh, 9 to 1 or 10 to 1 favorite and I said don't even the risk versus reward and that's why this fight is a perfect example of why you stay away from lines like that even if you got burned on the under even if you got burned on Carrie inside it's a far lower line than had she lost this fight and again I don't think the scores are right but you know what it wouldn't matter if somehow Carrie had lost this fight I'd be on here bitching and moaning about a robbery but anybody that had bet her at nine to one 10 to one 11 12 13 to one would be screwed there goes your money huge risk versus reward right there you gotta you gotta be mindful of that um yeah Carrie needs to do better game planning she's a striker uh, obviously she has some ground skills but you don't need to be taking people down when you're much better striking. Um, the other fight that we talked about was the Lima-Korshkov fight. That was pretty much a domination by Lima. He ended up securing the fifth round submission. Previous to that, I believe I had him winning all but one round. Um, as soon as Korshkov figured out that he Lima wasn't just going to flop on his back, that was basically it. He was getting killed on the outside from leg kicks, and he just went almost into a survival mode type of fight. It wasn't exciting again. All he did was try to pin Lima against the cage. And I will say this about Lima. He was doing a lot of that himself. When he was circling out and he was moving around, he was putting his back too close to the cage. And then Korshkov would shoot and get to a clinch and just hold him there. Uh, Andre was perfectly fine with doing that because his legs were ready to fall off. So all those leg, leg kicks from Lima made Andre just focus on, I don't want my legs to fall off. So he would shoot. He couldn't get Lima down, but he would just hold him there because that was a safe space for him to be. But a lot of MMA fighters make this mistake of putting their back too close to the cage. And we even talked about in the Conor uh, counter Khabib fight, that that's what Khabib tries to do. He tries to do the exact same thing that Andre did. Let these guys put themselves in a position where he can shoot and immediately clinch him and put him to the cage. Well, that happened for most of the fight, but there was no offense from Andre. When they were separated, it was all Lima, and it was basically lay kicks. He did a lot of good work with the leg kicks. He did have some punches and strikes there, but it was just basically uh, Douglas outworking Andre. Andre really wasn't in the fight after after the first round, and then uh, Lima closed the show with the submission in the last round. Really good performance going in. I thought it would be a competitive close fight. Uh, fight. We did uh, like Lima because he was the underdog. He closed around plus 130, and that was pretty much where he was, I believe. When we did the previous podcast. But for anybody that was on Lima. That was a pretty easy win. Easier than I thought it would be. Um, The Quentin Jackson Jackson and Vanderlei Silva fight. Was actually pretty fun to watch. I wasn't too hyped about it going in. Um, We were on the side of Jackson. I wasn't so sure it was going to end. I know it closed at like minus 245 for the under. Um, everything suggested it would. It's just because you could see they're old guys. And so when they started their offense, they would fire, but they couldn't keep doing it. And you saw spots where Rampage got hurt and then Vandalay got hurt, but they didn't get finished because they only have so much juice to go, right? The gas pedal only goes so far. And so it allowed the other person each time to recover. And that's the way it was pretty much going. And we were almost out of that second round, so we were already looking at that third round. But I really think the key for the Jackson win Was Vanderlei got really tired there. You could see that his energy just dipped. And once that dip it allowed Rampage to come in a little more aggressively. And not have to worry so much about what Vanderlei was throwing back. And I think it was that fatigue factor. And of course there's been questions a long long time about Vanderlei's durability. And again they took some punches early on. And they did okay, but they had that rest period in between. And I think that helped them go almost three rounds. And again, Quinton got the uh, stoppage. He was favored uh, at the start. He closed as a minus 250 favorite. The under closed at minus 245. Jackson inside closed at minus 140. So that pretty much went the way the books thought. Uh, The last fight, the main event, Gegard and Rory, that was just a brutal Brutal beating. We mentioned it going in that it was a really tough ass for Rory. We liked Gay Guard. I leaned towards him, stopping him again when we did the previous podcast. Uh, we didn't have anything but over under. Uh, I just thought Gay Guard was, you know, world class. He's a class guy and he was bigger. He's strong. He's had 50 plus fights. We went over everything and it pretty much played out that way. It was a lot easier than I would have even suggested. Everything looked how we thought like he was hitting him clean and he was bloodying him up. But with that Rory miss cue on the takedown, that just that was it. Once Gaguard got on top of him, that it was over. It was over right there. And in fact, I want you guys to go back and look at the stoppage. I haven't been able to confirm this, but originally when I'm watching it, I swear Rory tapped to strikes. Before Herb steps in and all of the replays cut it off and it was announced as a knockout not a technical submission. So it could be that he tapped after it could be that he tapped simultaneously it could be he didn't tap at all. But it's the camera angle is really not good but. From my point of view when I was watching it, the elbows that he's getting hit with and then he rolls over and I swear he takes his, I believe it's his right hand and he taps the mat and then immediately Herb steps in. So if you guys have a gif of that, if you've watched the video, just comment. You can comment to me on YouTube or hit me up on social media. Just let me know because I'm searching for that to see if I can find it. But you got to find the right angle that shows it. And like I said, during the live broadcast. I thought he tapped I mean it's not a big deal I'm just saying I thought he tapped I wasn't sure if my eyes were playing tricks on me or if that really happened um back to the fight Gegard closed as a minus 300 favorite again we liked him that was a side we thought just because of the weight and Rory moving up and Rory's difficulties uh with his defense um The fight won't go to a decision. Only closed at minus 135. So that was a really super line looking back at it now. And Musasi wins inside was plus 115. Again, we did like Musasi, but it was a lot easier than what I thought it would be. I thought Rory was going to be super tough like he usually is. Was going to be able to take a lot of damage. And then eventually probably get worn down and stopped. But again, with that miscue with the takedown, that was a huge mistake by Rory. The <laughs> And once Gegard got on top of him, he just, he had nothing. He was even trying to close guard. And then he would try to open up a little to get Gegard off. But Gegard's top game is very good. Like we talked about going in, he's very well-rounded. So it takes, you know, it takes something special to beat Gegard. And Rory, it was a tough ask. I respect him for, you know, coming up from 70 and trying to win another belt at 85. And, you know, shooting for greatness and fighting a guy with that, that many fights and experience and some world-class talent, he definitely didn't take an easy way out. I mean, he's definitely trying to be great in MMA, so you have to respect that. But overall, Gegard got the job done, and he did it pretty quickly. So that's it for this episode of Fight Junkie. I will suck it to you tomorrow, baby. Fight Junkie out.